Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. If you missed our show this morning, Mornings with the Coach, here's what you missed. Well, happy Friday, everyone, and uh, welcome to 97.3 The Fan. Coach John Quintero with you until uh, 9 o'clock this morning. I'm very happy you could join us uh, bright and early on this Friday. Of course, uh, we're going to get into the NFL draft. Uh, Who won, uh, who lost last night? We'll uh, obviously uh, tell you about the Padre game coming up uh, later today. I'll actually have the pre- and post-game show, so if you're around at 3 o'clock, make sure you tune in to 97.3 The Fan. The uh, boys will be in Washington, Game 1 of a three-game series, and Game 1 of a seven-game road trip. They'll have three in Washington, and they'll have four more starting on Monday in Atlanta before they come home next Friday night to take on the Los Angeles Dodgers. Want to get a lot of reaction to the NFL draft last night. I'm not going to spend a lot of time right now talking about this Tyreek Hill uh, situation because, first of all, it sickens me. Uh, Second of all, I will tell you this morning that Kansas City Chiefs have barred uh, Tyreek Hill from all activities uh, after that uh, video of about 11 minutes surfaced uh, just prior to the draft last night about uh, him and his uh, fiancée talking about how uh, apparently he abused his three-year-old son. And his son would tell his mom, well, daddy did it, daddy did it, daddy did it. Well, Tyreek Hill, this is not the first offense for Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill, when he was at Oklahoma State, uh, was uh, charged with uh, assault battery on a girlfriend at that point in time. Uh, He was placed on three years probation. He was kicked out of Oklahoma State, went to West Alabama. He got into the NFL, and everybody knew that he had had problems. And it seems like here it rose uh, rose up once again. So I would imagine, you know, I haven't seen the tape. People, I guess, in Kansas City have seen the tape. His career's over. I can't imagine that he's going to be a member of the National Football League any longer. Uh, we saw what happened there in Kansas City with Kareem Hunt. Now, he's back in the league. Uh, after that video of him uh, kicking that lady uh, prior to last season. It was uh, during the offseason, and he lied to the Chiefs, and he ended up uh, ended up getting released. Now he's a member of the Cleveland Browns, and we still really don't know what's going to go on with him uh, going forward right now. But this Tyreek Hill situation, I, it's not funny at all. But yesterday there was an article on ESPN.com that said, Tyreek Hill trying to become the best person he can be. And then all of a sudden this video surfaced. So, you know, if you're a parent, this is really upsetting. Very upsetting. In fact, last night we had our Facebook uh, live show with the draft, and and congratulations to a lot of the people here at 97.3 The Fan. I don't know if you got a chance to tune in, but it was a lot of fun. We had uh, former wide receiver Quinn Early, who joined me on the show yesterday. We had J.R. Tolliver, the great wide receiver out of San Diego State that played in the NFL. Rich Herrera, myself, Derek Togerson from Channel 7, and a a great group of guys uh, behind the scenes uh, yesterday that made that uh, program possible. But, you know, we're, we're talking... Uh, about the Tyreek Hill situation. And last night when I went home, I I got home at about 8.30. And the only thing when I laid down to try to get some sleep and be ready to go today, the only thing I could think of and only thing I was seeing were the faces of my four grandchildren and imagining that happening to them. And it it almost infuriated me when I was trying to go to sleep that uh, a man would be so upset at a three-year-old boy or a three-year-old girl that they could do damage to him physically. I mean, I, I just don't get it, but some people have a sickness. Some people have a sickness out there, and Tyreek Hill obviously has a sickness, and I don't see him playing again. I really don't. I mean, I think when this video uh, surfaced yesterday and with his already prior uh, problems and uh, a few years back, 
I don't know how this guy continues to play in the National Football League, and I don't know how the National Football League could allow him to continue. I would think maybe by sometime today, tomorrow, Sunday, or before I hit the airwaves on Monday, Tyreek Hill will be a former member of the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, what was interesting last night is that the Chiefs did not have a draft pick last night. And so, you know, you couldn't get to any of their people. Now, tonight, when the rounds uh, two and three, and then they'll finish up tomorrow uh, four through seven, you know, they may get some of the powers to be. I mean, Clark Hunt is not going to tolerate that. And it would not surprise me by the time I get off the air tonight from the Padre postgame show, it would not surprise me if Tyree Kill is a former Kansas City Chief. I don't know what Andy Reid and that organization is doing right now. You you do due diligence on guys. And, you know, they took a chance on Tyreek Hill. And once again, he stepped out of bounds. They knew about some prior incidents with Kareem Hunt. Uh, Frank Clark, who they just uh, got in a trade from uh, Seattle, he's had uh, prior problems in college. So I don't know what's going on there in Kansas City or what's in the water, but this is not good. And you know what? long as that boy is breathing today, I'm happy, and hopefully that boy can move on with his life. Hopefully Tyreek Hill can move on with his life in a more positive manner, but it's going to take a lot of uh, rehabilitation. It may even take a little jail time, the way I look at it right now. I want to get your thoughts on that today, because that's a hot-button issue for me. Our phone number, 833-288-0973, 833-288-0973. Everybody's got an opinion on the draft last night. I thought overall, uh, not a lot of big surprises in the draft. I will tell you a couple. And we got to start at number six with uh, Daniel Jones, the quarterback out of Duke. I think he's a really good player. I think he's a really good player. And I said on our draft show last night that I thought when they got to that point at number six that they were going to take him. They, they liked Haskins. But apparently there was something that they liked better about Jones. And the first thing I would say is he played for David Cutcliffe, who coached Peyton Manning and who coached Eli Manning. And I'm sure that Dave Gettleman, the general manager of the Giants, who has really been an interesting dude talking to the media the last couple of weeks, uh, he, he bought into what Cutcliffe was telling him about Jones and what their scouts had evaluated. So they took uh, Daniel Jones. I think he's a good quarterback. We'll see where it goes long term. I mean, it's a big difference from playing in the ACC to playing in the National Football League. But I think he's a good quarterback. But I thought, I really thought originally they could have gotten him at number 17. Now, maybe they thought maybe Washington, who ended up drafting Haskins last night, uh, maybe they thought uh, they were going to take him. So they, they jumped the gun, and uh, Haskins went 15th overall to the Washington Redskins. And we can talk about that a little bit. Uh, Daniel Snyder sticking his nose in it and making the pick uh, from what we understand. He was taken over the first round. But as far as Jones is concerned, uh, they liked him. I, I guess they felt that there may have been somebody else on the board uh, before they drafted again at 17 that may take him, and that was the guy they wanted. Now, Let's face it, Dwayne Haskins last night, when that pick was announced, he's laughing, smiling, thinking they made a big mistake. And maybe they did. Only time will tell. I thought that was a reach. Uh, The other one I thought was a little bit odd, because I don't think, even though he was ranked as the second-best safety, I thought he went a lot higher. In fact, I didn't even see him going in the first round. That's the uh, uh, safety out of Maryland, Darnell Savage. Uh, undersized safety, 5'11", 198. A good athlete, but I thought he won a little bit high. But again, I guess they went more for need than for where they were on the board and going after the best available player. I thought that one uh, shocked me a little bit, and I had to kind of shuffle my papers on that because uh, I didn't see him anywhere uh, in the first round. Uh, we can talk about the Raiders. Uh, Cleveland Farrell, the defensive end out of Clemson. I don't think Raider fans really liked that pick last night. He went a little bit high. Uh, they could have gone after a guy like Josh Allen. Uh, Josh Allen was one of my favorite players in this draft, and he ended up uh, going number seven to uh, uh, Jacksonville, and he's a really good player. But uh, the bottom line uh, is they uh, went a different direction. They always go 
a different direction, it seems like, there with the Raiders. But I thought their 24th overall pick and their 27th overall picks were good. Josh Jacobs, a running back who didn't even carry the ball a total of 300 times in his college career. I think that was a good pick. He's got fresh legs. He was the most talented running back uh, in that uh, backfield for the uh, Crimson Tide last year. And then they took the safety out of Mississippi State, which I thought was a good pick. Jonathan Abram, they took him uh, 27th overall. So I thought Mike Mayock and John Gruden did a pretty good job uh, overall, but I think they may have reached a little bit on their fourth overall pick, Cleveland Farrell. You know, I look at the top of the draft last night, and you really couldn't go wrong. I I know I'm not the biggest Kyler Murray guy, and I I look at Arizona, and I look at them as being a very dysfunctional uh, front office. And we're going to talk with a gentleman, a lot of you may know him, uh, because he grew up here in San Diego, broadcast with me years ago on the old... uh, 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 Extra Sports 690. Brad Sessman's going to join us at about 8.35 tonight, and uh, he's dialed into that Arizona Cardinal organization, and uh, he'll come on and, and give us a good lay of the land. But, you know, Kyler Murray, everybody had him as the number one quarterback, and that's great, and I hope it works out, and they can find a place to, to trade Josh Rosen. I thought Rosen may get traded last night. It didn't happen. And then, you know, once Murray went, and then John Lynch is sitting there at number two, and he got the pick of the litter. I mean, you're going to go after Bosa, an outside guy that can get to the quarterback. You're going to go with Quinnen Williams, the kid out of Alabama, who can control the middle of that defensive line. Well, John decided to go with the uh, probably the more sexy pick in Nick Bosa, and then the Jets took Quinnen Williams. I think both ball clubs got really, really good players there. Uh, I look at Tampa Bay at number five, Devin White, uh, the inside linebacker out of LSU, a solid pick, a good leader. I think he'll do a nice job in the National. Football League. Uh, then we had uh, Jones going six to the Giants, uh, Allen going uh, six to uh, Jacksonville, and uh, then we had uh, T.J. Hawkinson, the tight end. This, this was interesting because we had Hawkinson, the tight end, uh, going to the Detroit Lions, and then a little bit later in the draft, you had the other tight end, Noah Fant. Uh, going to the Denver Broncos with the 20th overall pick. I mean, uh, Kirk Ferentz, for whatever reason, they know, number one, they know how to utilize their tight end, but though tight ends normally come out because Kirk Ferentz, his background is offensive line. Their tight ends do a great job of blocking, and they also can catch the football a little bit. So two of their tight ends uh, go early in this draft last night. I look at the Chargers. And again, the Chargers were drafting way down there this year. At number 28, they took Jerry Tillery, the defensive tackle out of Notre Dame. I mean, this guy's a big move. 6'7", 295. 6'7", for a defensive tackle. he got to stay low when he comes out of that stance. Now, when you look at this guy, he looks like an All-American. But sometimes he doesn't play like an All-American. He, his play at Notre Dame was very inconsistent. There's talent there. No question about it. No question that this guy has a lot of athleticism, but his play has been very, very inconsistent. We're going to get to uh, Jim Russell here momentarily, but earlier in the week, Jim and I went back and forth about whether or not Kyler Murray be drafted number one, and, and Jim, boy, he dug in his heels and said, oh yeah, Kyler Murray's going to go number one. I wasn't so sure about that, but this little soundbite from earlier in the week, because it looks like I'm going to have to uh, take him uh, down to get a California burrito here pretty quick. When Murray made that decision, decide to play football, oh, number one pick, number one pick, number one overall pick. That may not be the case right now. It'll be uh, interesting to see uh, what his uh, outlook is if he ends up dropping the middle of the first round. Are, are we making a bet here? Bet. Come on, let's do it. Burrito. That Kyler Murray goes number one. I'm saying he doesn't go number one. I say he does. I say they trade out. Uh, they'll trade down uh, two or three spots, and they'll try to get some multiple picks from uh, some suitor out there that's convinced Kyler Murray's going to ne- be the next uh, great one. I like uh, California burrito, please, with uh, extra guacamole. Okay. Thank you. And uh, No problem. Well, don't uh, forget, Jim, I will get you the extra guacamole. Good morning, my friend. I like your new uh, Padre lid you're wearing today. So I'm either thinking Luce Libre or, hmm, where's other good place to have a burrito? What's your what's your favorite burrito spot, Jeff? Do you have a favorite burrito spot? El Patron. El Patron. Okay, so El Patron, Luce Libre, Hammer, you're going to have to tell me your favorite burrito spot, too. But, uh, yeah, I'll take, a, I'll take a nice burrito, 
Uh, extra guacamole. Make sure there's definitely French fries in there with steak. Um, I like sour cream. A little bit of sour cream okay. in there. Um, definitely have to have some cheese. Uh, the cheese has to be melted, though. I don't like when the cheese isn't melted. Right. Or they've thrown it on too late where it hasn't melted. Yeah, it's not that good. Um, maybe a little bit of pico de gallo. Okay. A little bit of that. Um, so, so yeah, I will, uh, I will be happy when I get the burrito. All right. Well, we'll uh, work on that uh, early next week. I told yeah. everybody. I told everybody. I said this like four months ago, and everyone's like, no, that's not going to happen. Kyler Murray was the number one pick. Well, you're the next Mel Kuyper. The next Mel Kuyper? Yeah. Better than Mel Kuyper. Well, Mel Kuy- uh, who's Mel-, Mel Kuyper who? He's got better <laughs> hair, though. Actually, I don't know. Last night it was fading. It's it's going. It, it's he's losing the he's losing the front. Yeah, he's a little bit. I mean, one of these days, I mean, you have to lose it a little bit. So, well, hey, look, gentlemen, let's talk about the draft last night. I, everybody was uh, watching it. I know Jeff watched it. Hammers out there. Uh, he was breaking it down this morning when he walked in. I barely watched it. Yeah, you watched enough of it. I almost died last night, but I'm fine. Yeah, well, you know, you got to get to the dentist today, and you'll be feeling a little bit better. I want you to go into your sports weekend with a happy face on. Well, plus I have to go there to make sure I'm ready for my California burrito. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Murray goes number one uh, last night uh, to no surprise of uh, Jim Russell. Uh, Let's take a look at the other picks. Like I said... I think John Lynch at, at number two, he had the pick of the litter. You can go after Bosa or you can go after Quinn and Williams. He decided to go after Bosa. You're a, a Northern California guy. What would you think? So I love the pick. Their defensive line getting to the quarterback was a big issue last year. They upgraded for sure D. Ford, Nick Bosa. They have DeForest Buckner. Eric they just Ar- re-signed him too. Right. They, well, they picked up an option. Yeah, I they think. picked up the fifth-year option. They also have Eric Armstead. They picked up the linebacker from uh, from the Tampa Bay Bucks. I forget his name. Uh, they also have Fred Warner, the guy from Washington. Yeah, Fred Warner's uh, tough. So their front eight, they definitely have upgraded in that sense. I don't particularly... Yeah, Fred Warner's actually from BYU. Right. Oh, BYU, okay. Yeah, he's actually a kid that played at Mission Hills High School here in San Diego. I think someone else from Washington. But anyway, I'm not particularly a fan of Bosa's social media game. I don't know if you you've seen that or heard that. No, but is his mom chiming in again? No, he uh, he liked some tweets uh, in the past that were borderline racist okay. and very controversial. So his agent didn't have him uh, scrub his uh, oh, no, social he, media. He account. did, but obviously these were already out there beforehand. Um, these were from like 2014. I think. So you they think were. these are going to surface in, in a big way? They, they did surface, yeah, in, but... in a big way in the Bay Area to the point where okay. I'm just scrolling through Twitter and looking at all the Bay Area bloggers and everybody, and uh, they weren't happy with Bosa. They said, but, they... but it hasn't gone national yet. Is what I'm no. saying. It's gone locally, but it hasn't gone nationally yeah. to where it really blows up. And whatever your political opinions are, that's fine. But like in the Bay Area. The he, it wasn't perceived very well, and he was kind of trashing San Francisco. So, um, besides that, as the just the player goes, love Nick Bosa. I mean, it's it's a perfect fit because it's a four three, and he played he's played the four three his entire career since he was born. So Nick Bosa for the Niners, I think, was a home run. And if and if Kyler Murray doesn't hit for the Cardinals, and Bosa does. Man, it's gonna look it's gonna look kind of bad for the Cardinals because Bose is gonna be chasing after Murray for the next at least five years. There are some really good players, I thought, at the top of the draft. I don't think this necessarily is a great NFL draft, but I mean Bosa I think is gonna be a great pro. I think Quinn and Williams is gonna be a great pro. Uh Devin White, the um inside linebacker out of LSU, I think will have a nice career. I can't believe uh, you like Daniel Jones pick at six. Coach. I think really? he's a good player, but no, I, I said I said last night that I thought they were going to take him with six, but I thought they could have got him at 17, but I think they panicked a little bit. Because oh, 100%. They, they, they looked at, and they had done their due diligence. I told you they had uh, Haskins in uh, and had lunch with Eli Manning. That, that happened late last week. But I think they panicked a little bit. They, they wanted him, but they, they were afraid somebody else, maybe Washington, who ended up taking Haskins later in the first round, uh, they thought somebody might nab him. And for whatever reason... They like Daniel Jones. I mean, I saw a tweet. I thought this was perfectly said. Imagine passing on Sam Darnold to take Daniel Jones a year later. I'm it, it, the the Giants 
Dave Gettleman, <laughs> what he's doing to that. I have a, a good friend that's a Giants fan, uh-huh. and all he has told me since Dave Gettleman has gone in the office is that guy has screwed everything up. And he's not. I don't think he's wrong either. You, you, you tell us that you're going to keep Odell, and then you trade him to the Browns. You don't really get too much for Odell. Then you you, you say Eli Manning's your guy, and then you draft Daniel Jones with six, and then you tell people, well, he could sit for three years. What? He's a sixth-fifth in the draft. He should be the starting quarterback today. Yeah, that's not going to happen as long as Eli Manning And it there. shouldn't happen because Daniel Jones is not ready to play in the National Football League. I don't no, think. I don't think so either. So I think the Giants are, if I were to pick the loser of the draft, I'm picking the New York Giants. Well, I think you could also criticize uh, the Raiders' uh, first pick, fourth overall, Cleveland Farrell uh, Clemson. I mean, they could have gone after Devin White. They definitely could have had uh, Josh Allen, who ended up going number seven. I I thought Josh Allen was one of the top three or four players in this draft. And you can criticize the Raiders for the fourth pick, but me and Jeff were talking during the break, and Jeff can chime in as well because he knows more, but he said that they hit on their last two picks in the set, the first round. Yeah, no, I thought their last two picks were, were fine. I, I didn't have a problem with those at all. Uh, when you take a look, uh, they took Josh Jacobs, a running back out of Alabama, 24th, and they took the safety out of Mississippi State, a real good one, at 27th, Jonathan Abram. Uh, no problem. They needed a running back, right. and they need to continue to build that defense right now. Um, and, Clinton, but, and Clinton Farrell could hit. like He could be a guy, but, I mean, from what everyone's saying is, when you're projected to go 15 to 20 and you're taking four, when you already have three picks in the first round, you could easily get him later in draft in the first round? Well, you would think. He wasn't even the best guy at his position on his own team last year. I thought Wilkins and Lawrence were both better defensive linemen than he was. Uh, Wilkins, uh, Lawrence, of course, is the one that got suspended. Yeah, for the, the and I think that that's why he dropped a playoff too. Yeah. Yeah, there's no question about that. Uh, but uh, Wilkins, I thought Wilkins was an absolute stud last year for Clemson. Yeah, well, and he sold the show last night, too, trying to chest bump Roger Goodell. Too, I know. So he's got the personality Knocked to back out. up the great play, too. But, you can uh, always count on the Raiders, though, to do something that everyone would be like, wait, what? Because well, the top five were locks, I thought, last night. And they didn't go. I mean, Josh Allen and Devin White both sitting out there, and you don't go with either one. And then you don't even pick the best Clemson defensive lineman. Never you know, change Raiders. The, the guy that. If we were doing this draft a year ago at this time, I think the number one pick was projected to be Ed Oliver, the kid out mm-hmm. of Houston. But, yep. of course, he did not have a great year. He had problems with Major Applewhite. But, you know, you can get in line, and Major Applewhite ended up getting uh, fired for just kind of being an idiot more than anything else. But Ed Oliver went to Buffalo uh, with the ninth overall pick. I- I'm real anxious to see how his career goes because I remember when he was a freshman, he weighed about 295 pounds, and he's gotten himself in better shape. But again, he didn't play the, really the second part of the season, and he still goes ninth overall in the draft. A year ago, I think he would have probably uh, gone uh, maybe number one, maybe number two. Yeah, I, as a sophomore, he didn't even have that option last year. But yeah, I agree with you. I think last year he would have been a top three pick probably. He fell a little bit because I think some of the issues with Major Applewhite and obviously not seeing him play the last half of the season. But I I, I think this guy has Khalil Mack type of potential. I'm not sure if he ever reached that, but I think he's got that potential. I think playing lesser talent, there's still a little bit of a question mark of how good he can be. But I'm curious to see. But I think Buffalo got a steal at number nine. Lewis Riddick said it perfectly. This guy literally didn't play his right position right. all True. last yeah. year. Right. He'll, play, he'll play defensive end in the NFL. And they put him in a position where he's not even good. Like It's just like, what are you doing? putting in there? Like He's not even in that position. Well, like his freshman year, he was a nose tackle. Yeah. yeah. So the talent is definitely there for him. They just have to put him in the right spot to make him succeed. Yeah, he's uh, he's really done a good job of building his body up, and he's a guy that I think can uh, play a variety of spots along that defensive line. Taking a look, good hard look at the first round of the NFL draft, who the uh, big winners were, who were the losers. I don't think Amy was a big loser last night. Just some uh, questionable picks uh, in the first round. I think you got to start uh, at the number six overall pick with the uh, Duke quarterback, Daniel Jones, going to the New York football Giants. Could have gone with Dwayne Haskins. Could have gone a couple of different directions, but they uh, like Daniel Jones. They went with him. I thought Green Bay may have reached uh, when they took Maryland safety Darnell Savage, a little undersized safety. Safety at 5'11, 198. 
pretty good uh, run defender, though. I think the Raiders may have reached uh, with the better players on the board with their fourth overall pick, uh, Cleveland Farrell, the defensive end out of Clemson. thought the Raiders did a pretty good job overall, though, later in the first round. In the 24th overall selection, they took Josh Jacobs, the running back out of Alabama. And with a 27th selection, they took Jonathan Abram, the safety out of Mississippi State. Chargers uh, took a big defensive tackle out of Notre Dame. Uh, Jerry Tillery, 6'7", 295, good skill set, but has uh, been very inconsistent in his uh, play. Give me your thoughts on that this morning, 833-288-0973, 833-288-0973. Our lineup card uh, coming up at 7.03 this morning. Dan Shanka from Our Lads Draft Guide coming up at 7.40. Longtime NFL writer working for the Houston Chronicle. It'll be John McClain. We'll talk about this Tyreek Hill situation in Kansas City. After that uh, tape surfaced last night, 11 minutes of he and his fiance going back and forth talking about what Tyreek Hill did to his three-year-old son. And this morning, the Kansas City Chiefs have barred Tyreek Hill from all team activities. I think they need to release him more than anything else. At 8.03, our Friar Fridays, Andy Green will join us from Washington as the Padres get ready to open up a three-game series tonight against the Washington Nationals. It'll be left-hander Matt Strom going for the Padres and three-time Cy Young Award winner Max Scherzer going for the Nationals. Strasburg going to throw against the Padres tomorrow. And then at 8.35, longtime radio and TV man over in Arizona and a San Diegan, Brad Sesmet will uh, join us on the uh, program. Again, want to get to your phone calls, 833-288-0973, 833-288-0973. Well, last night, I lost the bet to uh, Jim Russell. Uh, Kyler Murray was the uh, number one overall pick, and uh, Kyler Murray, after he was selected by the Arizona Cardinals, he talked about getting that phone call. You know, when I made the decision that you know I was going football, straight football, Everybody had me uh, kind of mid-first round, you know, didn't know where I was going to be um, as far as, you know, projections and stuff like that. I kind of liked the fact that, you know, not, everybody not knowing, but, um, and then everybody just got on the, you know, oh, he's going to he's gonna be the number one pick. So, for me, I'm the type of guy, you know, I don't believe it until I got the call. So, uh, I, I was definitely glad to get that call for sure. You know, one thing, and, and I saw that uh, when he was uh, uh, getting the Heisman Trophy, uh, the kid's got a lot of class about him. There's no question about that, and I think he's been a big leader. Uh, and, you know, here, here, here's a guy that's just done some amazing things on the football field, the baseball field as well. But Murray's comments on uh, being the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. Uh, I think all this speaks for itself. Uh, I'm blessed to be here. Um, I can't even put it into words. It's a dream come true. I would certainly think it is a, a dream come true. And, of course, uh, Kyler Murray also uh, a first-round pick and a top-ten pick of the Oakland Athletics and now the number one overall pick in the National Football League. His comments about being drafted by both sports. Yeah, I think that's a testament to, uh, you know, God bless me with the abilities to uh, play both games at a high level. My parents, my dad teaching me the games. Uh, my uncle played baseball. You know, everybody in my family's played uh, sports. So it's just a lot of hard work, uh, trying to do the right things on and off the field. And, uh, you know, I've had a lot of great people influence my life uh, as far as coaches go and teammates. Well, Kevin Murray, uh, Kyler's dad, was a quarterback uh, many years ago down at Texas A&M uh, University. And, you know, I, I guess maybe now that he's the number one overall pick, maybe uh, that's uh, why uh, baseball probably will be in the rearview mirror. And baseball's not a guarantee at all. But, you know, Murray, we've heard a lot about him being a great leader. And this is what he had to say about what he brings to the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, I'm ready to go, uh, no matter what the situation is. Um, I'm a winner. I love the game, and you know, I, the one thing they'll get out of me is I'm gonna go hard every time I touch the field. It's going to be interesting uh, until they uh, trade uh, Josh Rosen. I can't imagine them bringing both of these guys uh, to training camp. Uh, and I'm anxious to talk with Brad Sesmet coming up uh, later this morning about 8:35 uh, because you know uh, K- Cliff Kingsbury, you know, he wants to, his own guy. Well, he's going to get his own guy, and this is Kyler Murray talking about playing for Cliff Kingsbury. You know, you've seen what he's done with quarterbacks, um, and, and he knows what I'm capable of. And, you know, for a quarterback, you know, it's 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 nice to know. You know, he's he's behind you, and he's fully supportive of you know who you are and what you're going to be doing on the field. So, uh, knowing that he'll let me play and be me is uh, probably the biggest thing. 
Five ten, two hundred and seven pounds, and that may be with rocks in his back pocket. He's been an uh, aggressive playmaker, uh, strong arm, quick release. I uh, got great quickness, and the quickness thing is interesting because you know in college you're playing against really talented guys. But in the NFL, you're playing against the best guys in the world. And those guys on the defensive side of the ball can flat-out run. And so it's going to be interesting. Early on, he'll probably get away with running a little bit, but then they get the old tape on him, and then they scheme for him. We kind of saw it a little bit, and I don't want to put Murray in the same class as Lamar Jackson because I think Murray's better than Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson had great success uh, when he took over as a starting quarterback for Joe Flacco last year with Baltimore. But then, towards the end, after they'd seen him, they made him into a one-dimensional quarterback where they were making him throw the football, and they were taking Taking away that run. I'm anxious to see this year how Lamar Jackson improves because I'm not convinced he's going to be a long term quarterback uh, with the Baltimore Ravens. A great athlete, but he got to be able to throw the football better. Kyler Murray is a complete package. I have to say that. I mean, this guy's a very talented guy. He was exciting. I don't think he was going to win the Heisman Trophy until Tua had that injury, and then he had that one uh, so-so game, and then everybody uh, jumped on the bandwagon for Kyler Murray. But the guy put up numbers. I mean, for as little as he played in his college career, this guy flat out put up numbers, no question. Uh, And uh, I'm anxious to see how it goes for Cliff Kingsbury over there. I mean, Kingsbury's a smart guy, good-looking guy. You know, he couldn't get it done in his alma mater at Texas Tech, 35 and 40. They had to let him go. He knew they had to let him go. He lands at, at USC. He had other opportunities all over the country to be an offensive coordinator in college. He had some opportunities in the NFL to be an offensive coordinator. And then all of a sudden, the Arizona Cardinals get this idea hey, we're going to hire Cliff Kingsbury. We're going to score points. Well, Let's see. Let, let's see where it goes. I mean, the Cardinals were an awful football team last year, three and thirteen, and a lot of people uh, thought that Larry Fitzgerald, after going through that last year, he would bail out and retire. But Larry Fitzgerald coming back uh, for another year, and when we have Brad Sussman on, he can talk a little bit about Larry Fitzgerald. He's a, a good friend of Larry Fitzgerald, so uh, we'll hear from Brad again in the eight o'clock hour. Our phone number eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three eight three three. 288-0973. Just uh, jumping over to the NBA here because we haven't really talked much about it. Last night, uh, San Antonio, even that series at three games apiece uh, with Denver at home last night. San Antonio 120-103. LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan, the former USC star. Boy, those guys put up some big ball games last night. Uh, Aldridge had 26 points, 10 rebounds, and 5 assists. DeRozan 25.7 rebounds and 7 assists, and uh, they win that ball game by 17. The Joker, Nikola Jokic for uh, Denver, you talk about a huge game for the 7-footer last night in a losing cause. 43 points. He was 19-30 last night. He had 12 rebounds and 9 assists. But uh, Game 7 will be tomorrow in Denver. And then tonight at Staples Center at 7 o'clock, Game 6 of the Western Conference first round. Golden State and the Clippers going at it. Warriors lead that series uh, three games to two. So we can talk a little NBA if you'd like. We can talk Padre baseball. Dodgers got a 2-1 win yesterday in uh, Chicago. Uh, finally beat the Cubs one day. They uh, were 1-2 and two there in the friendly confines. And how about the Angels? The Angels actually got a win last night, 11-5 to over the New York Yankees. Uh, they got uh, uh, home runs uh, last night from Cole Calhoun, his sixth, a two-run shot, and Tommy LaStella, the former Cub, his seventh, a two-run shot. So a nice win for the Angels, a much-needed win for the Angels. The Angels are going to be on the road today. They'll be at Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City to take on the Royals. It'll be left-hander Tyler Skaggs, 1-2, and two, in a 4-2-0 going against the veteran left-hander Danny Duffy, uh, who has yet to pitch this year. So uh, see if the Angels can get another win tonight on the road. They've really been scuffling. The Dodgers, on the other hand, they'll be uh, uh, back in town tonight to take on 
the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. Chris Archer, the right-hander, going for the Pirates. And Hunjin Ryu coming off the uh, injured list with a 2-1 and record and a 3.10. He will go for the Dodgers. I can't imagine Ryu is going to go uh, real long in that ball game tonight, but uh, we'll see. You know, it's amazing. The Dodgers have uh, had uh, Rich Hills out. He's coming back to pitch this weekend. Uh, Kershaw has only pitched in two games so far. And then you've got uh, Ryu, who started the year and then went on the IL. So uh, they're, they're three starting pitchers have uh, really not pitched all that well, yet they're in first place right now in the National League West, and they're going for their seventh consecutive um, division title. We're going to be getting uh, traffic here shortly. Uh, we got a lot to get to today. we got four great guests uh, yet to come. And again, uh, we are taking your phone calls. I, uh, You know, if the Chargers were still here in San Diego, I would think I would have full boards today. But I don't know if anybody out there really cares about uh-huh. the draft in San Diego. The who? The Chargers. Oh, okay. That team. You know, I'm looking at this uh, board right now. Nobody wants to talk about the NFL draft. I can't believe it. I'm, I'm really uh, a little perplexed, to be honest with you, Jim. I'm always perplexed, but that doesn't change. And people around you know you're always perplexed as well. They do. Right, Jeff? Always. We're talking a lot about the draft, but uh, the Padres. Boy, that game on uh, on uh, Wednesday was fantastic. They only won one to nothing. Kinsler hits his 250th career home run, but the way that game ended. With Tatis Jr. grabbing that ball behind the second base bag, tagging, throwing to Hosmer for a game-ending double play, that was really exciting. If the boys could, if the boys could have like a four and three road trip, a four and three road trip, like we were talking yesterday, and I'm going to bring Jim Russell back in here in a minute. Everybody's going to be geeked up uh, next Friday night. I mean, they can't go two and five on this road trip. They need to come back with some momentum. They go four and three. Uh, you know, even a three and four would be okay, but you'd like a, a four and three, or maybe uh, if we're dreaming a little bit, maybe a five and two. Uh, and you know, Washington one game under five hundred right now. Uh, they're a good team. I think they're going to be in the race in the East uh, most of the year. Uh, who knows? They could maybe win the East, even though they're without uh, Bryce Harper. I still think they're a very, very good baseball team. Uh, Juan Soto, who was one of the top young rookies in all of baseball last year at the age of 19. He's 20 now. After a little bit of a slow start, average-wise, only hitting 241, but still uh, you know, hitting a, a few home runs and driving in uh, some runs. I think he's got like 17 RBIs right now. And Anthony Rendon, one of the more underrated players in all of Major League Baseball. This will not be easy. And you've got to look at veteran pitchers in this series going against a lot of youngsters in the Padre lineup. I mean, you get Scherzer tonight, a three-time Cy Young Award winner. you got Strasburg, who's off to a really good start for the Nationals. And then you've got the veteran, uh, more of a soft tosser, in Jeremy Hellickson on Sunday. And uh, let's see what the Padres can get done there. Uh, you get two out of three, and then you go in there and at least split with the Atlanta Braves. Atlanta, boy, you talk about having some stars. Oh, they got guys sitting on their bench right now. That uh, Johan Camargo... I thought maybe the Padres should have went after him at some point during the offseason, but A.J. Preller had other ideas, and it's worked out really well, even though second base to this point has been kind of a black hole offensively. Kinsler gets a home run the other day to win the ball game one nothing, and hopefully that'll kind of jumpstart him a little bit. And I'm kind of anxious to see when Ty France gets in the lineup. He didn't uh, play the other day when he was suited up after being recalled from AAA El Paso. I would imagine uh, Ty, uh, I don't think he'll start tonight. I don't think Andy would throw him in there in his first major league game against Max Scherzer. Why not? I don't know. I just don't think he'd do that. I think he wants to go with uh, Kinsler, and uh, I think he'll find a, a spot for uh, Ty France. I would tell you right now, I would think Ty France would probably uh, draw a start at second base on uh, Sunday. I don't know if they'd start him against Strasburg tomorrow or not, but you know, we'll wait and see. I'm sure he'll get a pinch hit uh, appearance either tonight or tomorrow. Maybe he'll start one of those games. Maybe he'll start both of them, but I think Andy's going to pretty much stay with Kinsler right now. I'd start him tonight. Might as well put his feet in the fire. No, you're going to be uh, definitely putting his feet to the fire. I mean, this team wants to win, right? And there's you can't. W- I mean, I'm not saying that Ty France is this going to like light the league on fire, but you, you got to put guys in positions. Just you know, Scherzer is one of the best pitchers in the league. Been one of the best pitchers in baseball for a decade now. Put him in there, see what he's got. I'm cool with it. Like, I mean, yeah, Kinsler hit a home run the other day, and he he plays really good defense, but. I kind of want to see what Ty France does. 
and there's no better way to see what he does against one of the best pitchers in the league. Now, Scherzer's not having the best year so far. I mean, the the Nationals are kind of underperforming, but what else is new? Yeah, they were underperforming last year, and then towards the end of the year, they actually became a pretty good ball club, but uh, early in the year, they, they took themselves out of the, the race, and uh, really in May last year. Yeah, the first half of them was really bad, so, uh, but yeah, I would, I'd put him in there tonight, screw it, do it. Well, we'll try to talk to Andy about get it. Get some bats. Ask him how he's going to be uh, used. Uh, uh, again, I think he's going to get a start. I don't know if it'll be tonight, but you know, here's a guy that comes off uh, a Triple A. He's red hot, and so you know he flies in, doesn't play on Wednesday, an off day yesterday. If you don't play him tonight, I mean, this guy that's, had four days off. You want to keep right. him going? That's that's kind of like my point. Is like he's hitting four twenty nine in the minors right now. Four twenty three. Four twenty. Sorry, four nine bombs. My bad. Twenty eight RBIs, and he's on a hot streak. He just had a fourteen game hitting streak. So, yeah, you're right. You don't want to sim for four days. You want to get him out there. Keep playing. Keep the bat going. You know, the other guy they got to get going, uh, Hunter Renfro, after a pretty good start, man, he's he, he not doing squat right now. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's he's a very hot and cold player, I feel like. Like last year in the second half, the last two months of the year, he's one of the best power-hitting players in all of baseball. And he showed that for the first couple weeks of the season, and then he kind of dipped a little bit. Yeah, I mean, right now, you know, early in the year, it was like Fran Mill Reyes, Manny Margot in center, Will Myers in left. And a lot of people are, well, what about Renfro? He led the team in home runs last year. He had 26 bombs last year. And then when he finally got in there, he got really red hot, and Reyes was hitting the ball hard, but right at people. His average was, you know, way down in the 100s. But now it's been a complete reversal. I mean, Fran Mill Reyes is swinging the bat well, and those balls are uh, falling in, and he's hit a few balls over the wall lately. For Renfro, I feel like he has the, he obviously has the potential to hit 30 home runs a year. I just don't want to like give up on him. That's what we were saying you know? last year too. Like you just don't want to give up on this guy because you have a feeling if you do, that's when he's going to explode. So you want to I guess, you know, go roll through the bad times. You know, he kind of teases us a little bit because really oh, definitely. each of the last Two years. Remember, he, two years ago, he got sent down to the minors for a while because they right. they weren't happy about. He didn't it. like that either. Well, no, he didn't. And when he came back, he went on a tear again late in the year. He went on that tear late last year as well. We need him to go on a tear in April and May is what we need right here in San Diego. Uh, and recently, I mean, you know, you're not getting a lot of playing time right now because Fran Mill Reyes is out playing him. What bat would you like to see get hot? I mean, obviously you want both of them, but well, who, like who's, the, more, who's more important, Hosmer well, or Renfro? I, I think Hosmer is, because Hosmer is going to be in there uh, uh, through the thick and thin. He's your second highest player. We need Eric Hosmer to get back to being close to the Eric Hosmer of his days with the Kansas City Royals. And I know he had you know up and down years there, but we need the up Eric Hosmer from the Kansas City Royals. Because uh, right now, I think he's swinging the bat better. But again, his average is still, you know, in the low two hundreds. I mean, and he got to drive out, drive Barely. a few balls out. I'd like to see twenty five homers from him right now. I don't think he'll That's be not anywhere close. To that I don't think that's realistic. Well, he hit eighteen last year. Yeah, and he had a bad year. I know he did. I think actually eighteen is, a you know, his max right now with the Padres. I would much rather see Hosmer hit for average than power. Yeah, I'd like to see him hit like 309 this year and get on base at about a 37% Like clip. between 290 and 310, give me 35-40 doubles, 17 home runs, 75 RBIs. Like I feel like that, and play gold glove defense, I feel like that type of Eric Hosmer is the Hosmer that the Padres sign up for. Well, Jim, I think you're being very realistic. I think that's a good call by you because to me... Watching Hosmer day in and day out, you know, I you know I'd watch him with Kansas City when they were on TV and you know in the playoffs and so on and so forth. But you watch him every day. Last year he tried to generate so much power he was over swinging. He swings really hard. He topped the ball to second base. I can't tell you how many times last year, you know, four to three, four to three, four to three in my scorebook. I mean, it was amazing how many times he grounded out to the second baseman. But. You know, you bring up point about 40 doubles. See, that's really, when you look at Eric Hosmer for me, he has a doubles type of swing. And I think if he hit 40 doubles, he'll he'll drive in a ton of runs and he's going to help this ball club a great deal. I, I think with Hosmer, you're right on. They're, I think they're, they're the most important for him because you don't, you don't want to try to hit 35 home runs when you're not that type of guy. And in Kansas City, yeah, he hit 25 home runs, but... 
his swing is to go the other way. And if he can hit that gap and get you, you know, yeah, 35, 40 doubles and not try to overswing and try to drive the ball to, to right field so much and end up topping it every time, like, I think that's better suited for him to you know, be that type of player. With the way Myers has swung the bat earlier in the year, the way uh, Machado will swing the bat going forward, Machado's going to get hot at some point. And, he will. And it's important that Hosmer uses the middle of the diamond, gets on base, drives that on-base percentage up, because if he gets on base, uh, they're going to be ducks on the pond for a couple of those guys that are swinging the bat I mean, pretty well right now. I mean, now. we say we're not worried about Machado, but we've said that in the past about players, and look what's happened. Like, yeah, but this guy's a cut from a, a different cloth, I think. I I sure hope so, because that would be, man, that that would be a very disappointing feeling to see you know Machado not at least get to 25, 30 home runs, 85, 90 RBIs. I mean, if we're sitting here at the end of September and Manny Machado has you know 17 home runs and 52 RBIs, that's not going to be too good. Nope. And you can play the gold glove defense all you want over there, but that production needs to be the $300 that million dollar production. That defense is fun to watch, isn't it? It is. I've never seen it before. Like, he'll make stabs at third base, and then he'll taunt the runner. Like, you know in basketball? when oh, He step, watches the you, runner and then guns him down. You know when you break someone's ankles in basketball, and then you look down at them before you shoot? Like, that's what I feel like uh, Machado does every time he picks it over at third. He'll pick it. He'll watch the runner, kind of do a little shimmy, do a little couple, double clutch, and like underhand throw to first. It's amazing. You know, that, that's calling kind of gauging the runner or taunting the runner. Uh, in coaching, you try to tell your infielders not to do that because you'd want them to end up do making it. a bad throw. But Machado's good enough. He can get away with it. This is our Friar Fridays, and we're going to head out right now to our SDCCU uh, fan hotline, and we welcome in the uh, fourth-year manager of the San Diego Padres, uh, Andy Green, in Washington right now, getting ready for the three-game series tonight against the Washington Nationals. Andy, good morning. How are you? Yeah, doing great, Coach. How are you doing this morning? Ah, doing well. How's the weather there in Washington? Are we in good shape for tonight? Uh, I hope so. I think we got rain all afternoon with 30, 40 mile an hour winds around here, and then uh, hopefully it clears up enough to play the game tonight. We'll find out here soon enough, though. Well, I certainly hope so. Uh, hey, we got Matt Strom on the mound tonight. Matt Strom coming off a, a career performance, going eight innings last time out. Uh, he ended up uh, getting a no decision. I was saying, uh, you know, in the first game of the year, Andy, his first uh, start, it almost looked like uh, number one, he's nervous because he wants to show that he belongs in the rotation, but it almost looked like he was going out there and trying to be a little too finesseful to show that he knew how to pitch rather than really attacking the hitters like he did last year as an opener or coming out of the bullpen. And after that first start, boy, he has really thrown well. Yeah, he's been really good. Uh, made some adjustments in St. Louis, got even better as his last couple of outings have gone on. Uh, I think that first game he came out, uh, Adam Jones leading off the game with fastball, threw it by him, fastball, threw it by him, tried to throw another fastball by him. It got hit out of the park, and uh, it got to him a little bit. He changed the way he pitched after that. I think he observed him pretty well at that point in time, uh, uh, pitching less to contact, pitching less in the zone, hoping for chases. Uh, just wasn't him, and uh, he's been really good the last few times out. And you look at our rotation, I don't think you can be anything but pleased with the way these five young guys have taken the baseball and thrown it consistently for us. Andy, Chris Paddock the other day was electric. The way that ball was coming out of his hand, uh, and you know the breaking ball the last couple of starts has definitely uh, gotten better. And, and the thing that's amazed me about his breaking ball, he, he kind of throws it at a couple of different uh, uh, speeds right now. He'll lay one of those uh, slow ones in there, you know, uh, just to really get those guys out on their front feet, and uh, change-up's ridiculous. But just talk a little bit about the electricity, the way that ball comes out of his hand. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's got good stuff and uh, unbelievable mound presence for a young kid in the big leagues. Just a lot of confidence out there every single day, and every pitch is thrown with conviction. And uh, I think because of that, the fastball really jumps for him. Uh, the secondary has good arm speed and gets guys swinging at the arm speed rather than the baseball. And, uh, he spots up. I mean, it's a really good combination, and uh, he's going to continue to learn, and the league's going to be tough as he goes through it the first, second time, but uh, he'll make adjustments. He's a bright kid, and uh, he's got a bright future ahead, and I think we're all thrilled he's in the Padres uniform, and it always takes me back to the scouts uh, that saw him and wanted him when we had Fernando Rodney a few years back who was closing out games for us doing so well. I mean, 
these things, when they start to materialize in the big leagues, uh, they're an organizational success. And uh, it's the guys out there in the trenches hunting people down for us and finding guys like him and Fernando Tatis. Andy, talk a little bit about Nick Margavichus. Here's a guy that's pitched one game prior to this season above uh, uh, A-ball. He was Lake Elsinore last year. He got called up. I think the only reason he got called up to double-A was because Logan Allen got moved to triple-A to and they needed the guy to throw a playoff game. What did you see in him, either in tape, maybe at times last year, and what you saw in spring training to make a, a big move for a guy with very little experience? Well, I, th- I think it's what everybody in this organization saw in him. Uh, AJ uh, talked to me in the offseason about Nick, about the possibility of bringing him to camp, and uh, I'm thinking this kid's barely pitched in pro ball, but okay. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't really know him personally. It's not me. It's uh, everybody in PD that said he was uh, competitive beyond his years, that he had uh, the ability to handle tough situations. That he was incredibly intelligent and processed games very, very well. And uh, when you get that and you couple that with incredibly a uh, hard worker, uh, he stayed in Arizona all offseason. Uh, we really value our offseason program. He made the choice on his own to be there in the offseason. Uh, so we brought him into camp, and he did the rest from there. Uh, he handled everything we threw at him. Uh, incredibly poised, and we were we were very impressed in camp. And uh, I said the first day of camp, every single year somebody shocks you. Somebody makes the club that you don't expect, and there's you know 65 to 70 guys sitting in that room, and there's always going to be one guy that comes out of nowhere that you don't expect. Uh, he was that guy for me. I think the people that knew him well in the organization, they're not surprised by this at all. Padre manager Andy Green uh, joining us on our uh, Friar Fridays here on 97.3 The Fan. Andy, I got to ask you, the first three years were, were tough here. Uh, they're tough for everyone, but they're no tougher uh, than for the manager. You know, I saw when uh, Bruce Bochy was here, when they went through some real uh, tough times, it really wore on him physically, mentally. Uh, I saw the same thing uh, from time to time with Buddy Black, and, and you were in a whole different situation. It was your first managerial job. The organization's trying to get the uh, farm system up and running, and at times it almost seemed like you had a roster of a bunch of guys uh, that were going to be a tryout camp, and and that's not to demean any of the players you had, but right now you've got an opportunity, I think, really, uh, for the first time in your Padre career, to really be able to manage and and be able to go to that bench and count on some veteran guys coming off that bench to help. Uh, Yeah, without question, it's more fun right now. Uh, It's more fun because we've got talented baseball players. We've always had guys who have talent that were fighting hard to be in the big leagues, I think the greatest difference right now is this group collectively believes we have enough to go out and win. Uh, we tried hard to cultivate that belief over the last few years. Uh, it's just so much easier to cultivate it when Manny Machado's in the clubhouse, <laughs> uh, when, when you're young talents in the clubhouse, and you're not talking about uh, young prospects and A-ball and double-A all day. And Literally 90% of the questions I'd get asked when I'd sit on the sidelines before a game would be right. like, hey, talk about this minor leaguer, talk about that minor leaguer. And I understood where the organization was, and, uh, knew that it was a process to work through. Uh, now people are asking questions about Tatis and Paddock and Margavishus and Strom. And, uh, you know, it's it, it's a much different spot where we have a lot of the talent here. All of it, no. We got a lot of it. We got enough of it. And, and for us as a group, uh, coaching staff-wise, uh, it's easy to believe in this group. Uh, it's got good veteran leadership. It's got the ability to defend the field, especially the infield, uh, which has been a struggle for us uh, since I've been here. Uh, and, and I think our pitchers feel that on the mound. They know if they get the ball hit on the ground, it's got a really good chance of being an out. And uh, I think just collectively, uh, the culture's changed. Uh, AJ, the scouts, player development, those guys deserve a lot of credit for that. Hey, Andy, uh, you mentioned Manny Machado, and, and watching him play uh, third base now on an everyday basis has been fun. I mean, I knew he was good. You know, I'd watch those early games uh, uh, on television, the extra innings package when he was with Baltimore. And, you know, the guy's a, a tremendous defender. He was good enough to play shortstop uh, most most of the year last year for both Baltimore and for the Dodgers, but he really hasn't found his stroke yet. He's a 281 career hitter. He's hitting right around 241 right now. What are you seeing in him? And I think early on he was really trying way too hard. Uh, I think that first series of the year he wanted to do something really, really special. That first homestand, I should say. He wanted to do something special for those fans. Uh it's not often you walk to the dish and you get a standing ovation. Uh, it might happen once. It happened about 15 straight at-bats. Uh, 
and uh, any human being wants to come through in those situations. So I, I do feel that early on he was that way. On the road trip, he settled in nicely, thought he took a ton of really good swings. Uh, and then through the course of the baseball season, you run hot, you run cold, you go back and forth, and at the end of the season, you look up, he's going to be who he's always been. Uh, we have a ton of confidence in his track record, uh, a ton of confidence in the process he puts forth every single day. And uh, Has he found his groove at this point in time yet? No, I don't think so, but uh, not too terribly far off. And, uh, you know, we're really going to need him on this road trip. Uh, we're going to see a lot of really good front-line starting pitchers and uh, starts tonight with Max Scherzer, and so it'll be a challenge, and you need your best bats coming through in those days. Padre manager Andy Green uh, joining us from Washington on our Friar Fridays. Andy, Fernando Tatis Jr., I, I sit uh, at the games, and, and I just kind of giggle a little bit because you know, I've been watching the Padres since their very first game in 1969 as a 10-year-old boy, and you know I've seen a lot of good players come through here, uh, but this kid is really, really special, and I know he's going to go through the, the, the peaks and the valleys uh, you decided to start leading him off. Uh, what was the what was the deciding factor on giving him an opportunity to lead off? Yeah, I think we started the season uh, pretty resolute on keeping him around the six hole consistently and not moving him around a ton and uh, letting him find his footing and uh, just get off to a good start. And uh, you know, we did that for the first few weeks and uh, seemed like everything that was thrown at him he handled with ease and we weren't exactly. Uh, lighten the scoreboard up so uh we knew always he was one of our best options as a leadoff hitter at the top of the order type a one two type hitter and uh he had done that throughout his minor league career so we didn't ask him to do something he's never done before as a matter of fact his first uh his first two seasons in pro ball were both jump started by his transition from the middle of the order to the leadoff spot uh so he's had a ton of history in that spot uh at least in a short minor league career as much as you can have a ton of history uh and he handled that transition very well in the minor leagues and then we put him up there and he got on base right away for us here at the big league level and he's continued to hit since being inserted in that spot and i i think we're all pretty firm believers when you got good hitters and uh, good baseball players, they perform well no matter what spot in the batting order you stick them. And uh, I think he's evidence of that because we had him down the six. He was hitting, driving and runs. Now he's in the one and he's getting on base and stealing bases. And uh, either way around it, he's a really valuable player for us. And uh, like you said, there's going to be some challenges along this way. Uh, tough arms we'll see on this road trip. Uh, I look forward to watching him rise up and meet that challenge because it's going to be a real challenge. You know, I want to ask you about Ty France. I saw him as a, a young player, as a freshman at San Diego State. The first time I ever saw him, he was, uh, you know, a little bit overweight. He was playing third base, but I remember telling Tony Gwynn, I go, man, that, that kid can hit, and uh, that's what he's done throughout the course of his career, and over the last several years, especially when he got into pro ball, he really changed his body. He's worked extremely hard. He was off to the great start down there in AAA. You guys bring him up the other day. He didn't get in the game the other day, but um, I guess my question would be, how, how do you see uh, utilizing him right now? Because his primary spot is either third base or first base, and those are your two top uh, guys, uh, you know, veteran guys and two highest paid players, and he has been working a little bit at second base, but, you know, he, he's only uh, worked about seven or eight days more than I've worked at second base. <laughs> Uh, he's worked. Uh, that's the great thing about Ty. He's worked to make himself a big league baseball player. And to stop for a second and congratulate somebody on that that didn't have the road paved for him, that had to fight every step of the way to get here, uh, it's got to be fun for him and his family to celebrate that. I probably robbed them of the opportunity by not pinch hitting him the other day, uh, watching him in his first at-bat at home. Uh, you hate that. Uh, we put Greg Garcia in there. I was glad Greg got on base at that point in time, but you definitely think about those things at times. Uh, but it's uh, for Ty, you know, you're right. He's been a first and third baseman his whole life. He's been shagging balls in the outfield in uh, AAA. He hasn't played in the outfield. He got introduced to second base right before his call-up. His call-up kind of necessitated by Jose Perella's injury. Uh, we knew this first time around. We're probably going to use him primarily as a bat off the bench. Uh, we'll find an opportunity or two uh, along this road trip uh, to get him a start, uh, maybe against a left-handed pitcher. Uh, I think we see one when we get to Atlanta if they don't change the rotation on us. Uh, but here he'll probably be a primary bat off a of bench, and uh, if we get into a double-switch situation where the game's uh, uh, not lopsided, but one way or the other, we'll get him into second base in a big league game at some point in time if that opportunity presents itself. But uh, I think the bread and butter of our team so far has been pitching and defense, primarily infield defense, and uh, uh, we'll make sure that he's got his feet under him at second base before we stick him out there in a big league game. 
Well, hey, I know you're a busy man. I appreciate you uh, giving us a call today. Uh, good luck. Hopefully uh, we get this ball game in tonight. The last thing you want to have to do is play a doubleheader on this uh, road trip, maybe on either tomorrow or Saturday. So hopefully you guys will get the uh, ball game in and uh, keep this thing rolling. The fans back here, as you know, are, are pretty excited about the start you guys have gotten off to. And uh, have a safe trip and uh, good luck. And thanks so much for the time, Andy. Yeah, good talking to you, Coach. Have a good day. All right, there you go. Uh, Manager Andy Green uh, uh, touched on a lot of things there. Uh, Andy's a good guy, and, uh, you know, like I I said, uh, he's not going to criticize players that have played for him. But let's face it, the roster the last few years, it's been kind of a a tryout camp to a a certain degree here in uh, San Diego. And uh, now uh, things are uh, going just a a little bit better. Uh, We're going to uh, get over and uh, get you a traffic report here uh, shortly. And, again, uh, Andy uh, joined us on the SDCCU. A fan hotline. That was best of coach five to nine mornings right here on 97.3 the fan. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.